Welcome, friends, to Game Master's Studio, where we talk shop about running tabletop role-playing games. With us today is Jared and Ed, with your host, Jerry. Hello, welcome to Game Master Studio, where we'll be talking tabletop role-playing games, tips and tricks that you can use to help bring your game at home up to the next level. Today's topic is scaling encounters on the fly. We're going to be discussing what you can do to change things as you're going to adjust to make things a little bit easier for players that are struggling or maybe make things a little bit harder for players that are cruising along and you maybe need to drag things out a bit. Today in the studio, my name is Jerry, a.k.a. Frieden, host and moderator for the show. With me is Jared, a.k.a. DMF, proprietor of Mad Doc Designs, creator of the World of Wrath, semi-professional DM, and Ed. Huh. Well, uh, the notes only said scaling on the fly, and I didn't quite understand, so I got these two flies. I tried to put miniature scales on one, and then, like, I wasn't sure, so I put scale mail on the other. That... You should have added more uh, words in the memo. I I got... I was confused. Sorry, little flies. So what's his AC? Oh, it's got to be like 14 plus uh, whatever is... Plus 2, so 16. Plus size. No, sorry, scale is 13. I apologize. Does he really have a dex size bonus if he's dead? <laughs> well, I mean, if he was flying, yeah. <laughs> All right, so we are talking about scaling encounters on the fly. Well, good to know. And discussing, so this is this is a challenge that can hit hit a DM out of out of the blue at any time. You have your encounters, you're prepped, you're prepared, and obviously things never go the way you expect them to. But when they go really bad, either your players are just steamrolling over something that was supposed to hold them back, or they're struggling against something that you thought they would have a pretty easy time with. How can you react and adjust that? in order to make things go maybe a little bit more according to plan. Um, The first idea that we brought up is something that mentioned a couple times in earlier podcasts. It's a trick I love to use, and that is the enemies showing up in waves. Mm -hmm. Um, When the fight starts, not everybody is on the field. Um, This is also a classic trope from like, like movies and stories and stuff. You see extra villains rushing out of the nearby buildings or coming out of the bushes or maybe just showing up somewhere because, you know, they have a few more to kill and the heroes have been really cool so far. Um, But that allows you to bring in extra enemies to challenge your your players. Or if you start with some of the enemies hidden, maybe not all of them arrive and show up. And so if your players are struggling now, it's not as bad, but they are still going to have to fight their way out. Yeah, definitely a good idea. Um, that, that I like that one because that helps you with uh, you can throw them against the original encounter, you know, or, or what you have planned, the light side of what you have planned. And then if if they're storming right through it, okay, you can throw the rest of the encounter at them, you know. Um, or if they're struggling with it, okay, that's that's it. That's the encounter. Um. And I, 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 I do see you, uh, you use this a lot. Now, keep in mind, this can occasionally uh, backfire. Not always. Usually it works really well. But I do remember one specific incident where we were fought, fighting in uh, Owlbear. Then two more showed up. And I'm pretty sure one crit our cleric and killed him outright. A couple times. Double crit. <laughs> it, it got three attacks and it scored two critical hits in the same turn. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but actually... <laughs> actually 
because I remember that encounter very well. Uh, you guys fought the three owl bears. Yep. Of the four that I had originally planned. Of the four. Wow. Well, okay. Yeah. Good thing, was, that for, good thing that fourth didn't show up. Yeah. yeah. Well, after there's one death, you feel like maybe yeah. three was enough. <laughs> on this random encounter. And the cleric was sort of off on the side on his own, so. The cleric's tragic last words were, don't worry, I can hold him for one round. <laughs> he did. One round. <laughs> yeah. <coughs> up until then, it had been true. But no, but normally it's a really good idea. That way you can you can sort of test out what your guys can handle. You know, maybe you want to throw them against some uh, some lizard folk, but you're like, you know, in your original ideas, yeah, I want to throw them against, you know, eight or so lizard folk. But you think you said, well, maybe they're only like a second level group and lizard folk can be kind of tough sometimes. Yeah. So, you you know, maybe you throw, you know, four or five at them first, you know, or just three or something. See what they can handle. And if they feel like they're doing fine, throw a few more at them. Or if that is challenging them, uh, maybe even just through rolls. You know, maybe your lizard folk comes up and crits on his first hit against one of the characters, you know, or maybe your uh, uh, maybe your wizard who's continuously, you know, uh, blasting a firebolt or something is rolling, you know, low. Your fighters are rolling low, like nobody can hit, mm-hmm. you know, when no one can hit, you know, lo- low challenge encounters become very challenging. Yep. Because or if the enemies are making their saving throws or if their enemies are making their saving throws, I ran a game yesterday. They the most of every uh, I was running a game yesterday and three out of the four players are a spellcaster of some sort. And they kept casting stuff on my dudes and I kept rolling my saving throws. And I was rolling them like I was even behind. Usually I'm behind a screen. I wasn't behind the screen at this point, but I was rolling like I don't think anything under a natural 15 on everything. Every saving throw I rolled. It was ridiculous. And, the, you know, they were fairly low-level encounters. So, of course, it kind of tipped the scale uh, for the players. And I've actually, in my last game, I had a saving throw that I intentionally had a creature fail because it was dramatic. Mm-hmm. Um, the creature was flying, and they used a entangling strike with an arrow. So it created a net of vines on the creature, and he made his saving throw by one point. So I'm like, at that point, it's more dramatic to have him get hit the nets, the vines entangle him. He crashes down to the ground. Yeah. It makes a nice little set piece, kind of a little thing to remember about the uh, about the fight because, you know, oh, 2d6 for gravity damage because he was 20 feet up. And Yeah, that definitely flavors the specific encounter, which is definitely something that you should consider. Um, but a lot of when you have to scale an encounter on the fly, a lot of it has to do with how that particular encounter is currently running itself. Yeah, which is important to keep in mind, like you mentioned, roles. Um, so, I mean, starting off with a smaller, um, a smaller portion of the the encounter and then breaking it up into waves is a good way to be able to counteract the fact that, like, um, the players are rolling poorly or I'm rolling well. You know, like the owl bear double critting, not having all four owl, owl bears <laughs> already out. You know, it gave you a chance to pull back like, oh, crap, I already killed one player. I don't want to accidentally wipe the whole party. Um, The other thing to keep in mind is kind of the other end of that. You might think, okay, well, this wave went by really quickly. I need to throw more in. But pay attention if the wave went really quickly because the players are rolling really well. Like if they have a couple rounds where they roll a bunch of crits, 
then that's just because they rolled well. It might not necessarily mean that they can really easily handle this encounter. So that's something just to be mindful of and see why it is that they're going through this, you know, them, them quickly. Yeah. Maybe they got that first ogre down to 20 hit points. It doesn't mean throwing a second ogre in there right now is going to, right. But it won't change the tide, but it might also change it. So you have that second ogre show up, but he's 300 feet away. Yeah. So now he's, he's going to take a couple turns to get there. So now the players are forced with, do we try to burn down the one that we've got? Do we split somebody off to try to do some range attacks and whittle down the other one as he comes in? Mm-hmm. You know, how do we handle that? How do we think about that tactically? Right. Yeah. It's, it's just, again, you know, there's, there's ways to deal that, you know, again, maybe you still throw in another wave, but you give them some time. You maybe wait a little bit longer to bring in the next wave. Maybe they're like Jerry said, you know, they're, they're 300 feet off. So we have to, you know, they have to make their way over. So you're kind of giving them a timer. They know when this other ogre is going to show up, you know, maybe the party splits up and the Rangers or your know, range attackers start kind of pegging away at the other ogre while the melees finish off the ogre that's right in front of them. Mm-hmm. It's just again, you know, as you know, and as a GM, you're you, you should get used to if you're not already used to kind of managing, you know, a lot of these thought processes in your head, um, you know, on the on the fly here. You know, if you if you threw a monster at them and you didn't realize that they have to crit to hit it, but they did get lucky and crit, you know, this one, what you know, the first wave a couple times and kill it. Maybe don't throw another one at them. Like, oh yeah. crap! I didn't realize they had to crit to hit it. <laughs> right. Thank God they got lucky and critted a few times. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, so that's just you know it's just some things to keep in mind. Another uh, another thing you reference that actually comes up with the ways is you, you use the term managing, um, managing initiative, managing multiple creatures. It's easier if you don't have as many on the board, right? Yes, true. You wait until a couple of the enemies go down before more enemies come out. You've got less management to take care of. You've got less numbers that you worry about throwing around. The combat itself is just moving along a lot smoother and faster because there's because yeah. people are getting turns more often. Yeah. You know, your players are going more often. You're playing, you're, you're not playing as much of every single round of initiative, right? You're only playing two or three creatures. And, you know, then again, you know, every time one or two dies off, you bring in another one or two and you just kind of keep that consistent, you know, nice flow to the combat instead of like, all right, guys, well, the way initiative rolled out, you all went. Now I got five dudes to do, you know, just yeah. give me a second. Yeah. Or even if you want a, a bigger scale, Okay, yeah, three or four things versus, you know, eight or ten things. Right, yeah. You know, now now you got to roll for all eight or ten things, you mm-hmm. know. Uh, so certainly bringing them, so maybe eight or nine or ten is the target number, but they come, you know, three or four at a time. So that way, okay, you know, first group of four, they got them down to one, you know, uh, I'm going to bring the, another three in, Yeah. you know, and then maybe two turns after that, another three. Mm-hmm. So that way, it, see, it feels like a big old battle. You know, feels like a lot's going on, but really you're, again, like you said, managing that initiative and really managing that, uh, um, the amount of actions that are taking place. So almost like managing the action economy Yeah. instead of having a dozen things taking actions against f- four or five players, you've got f- three or four things at a time taking their actions against those, those number of players. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And especially when multi-attack comes yeah. in. Jeez, that could be 20 attacks. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I, I keep thinking when I think of waves, like you mentioned, it's kind of a common trope. Like I keep thinking of, I think it's the end of the original Ninja Turtles movie, like from the '90s or whatever, where like yeah. the turtles get done beating the crap out of a bunch of foot soldiers, and they're like, yeah. ha, ha 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 ha, and then all of a sudden, whatever his face, the Baldi's in the background, and he's they see him, and he's just like, you know, surrounded with like you know yet another huge, even larger army of foot soldiers, and he kind of closes his fist like attack, and they're like, 
<sighs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and all of a sudden, like, you know, three times the amount of foot soldiers they just beat up come swarming in. They're like, oh, here we go again. Yeah, that sounds sort of like the uh, the 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 mid movie fight where it starts yeah. with Raph on the roof and then oh, yeah, yeah, goes yeah. all through April's yeah, apartment the down to the basement. Yeah, 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 yeah. They're like, ha, 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 ha. And then all of a sudden, Oh man, do you, how many yeah. other guys, how many of these guys are there? Anyways, and like, first it's Raph fighting them, and then it's all of them fighting them in the the thing, yeah, and, and then, then they all Casey fall Jones through. Shows up, and then more of them show up, and then Casey shows up, and yeah. it's like, what's going on? Yeah. This is never ending foot soldiers. <laughs> but uh, imagine if they all attacked at once. Imagine what the DM would have to go through. <laughs> I know you can imagine that. Um. So waves coming in as reinforcements. Oh, memories. We can also go to the opposite side, and that's waves retreating. Yes. Um, you know, we discussed retreatment a little bit when we were talking about tactics. You know, it can be useful when somebody is wounded. They're like, oh, yeah, this isn't a fight to the death that's worthwhile for me. Yeah. It may be, hey, when we were 10 against four, I was confident. But now that it's four on four, I'm not so sure this is a fight I want to be in. Yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm now three or four around. of my buddies have gone down. Yeah. I'm looking around at the blood soaked ground and my, you know, the, the dead corpses of my, my brethren. Maybe I got to go. Yeah. Yeah. So maybe you over overwhelm. Maybe you do throw the eight or 10 or 12 dudes at the party. Um, and you realize, holy crap, I'm doing a, you know, I'm maybe doing more than they can handle here. Even though they're taking some of the guys out, I'm doing, this is a bit more than they can handle. I'm doing a lot of damage. Mm -hmm. You could just kind of roll a few dice and you could say, okay, well, this one just saw his buddy die. Uh, and uh, these two just saw their buddy die. So they disengage and they move away. Mm-hmm. You know, and you could take two or three dudes off the field because they, you know, quote unquote, failed the morale check. Yeah. Or, you know? or, or maybe tactically sound or maybe like you're fighting a group of bandits and you take down one bandit and one of the other bandits goes over and grabs, you know, the the, bo- the body and starts dragging him away because, yep. oh, well, this guy is, you know, they're friends and he wants to try to save this guy's life. Mm hmm. Or it could be a situation kind of like, you know, a little bit like what I did, you know, in a recent game where, you know, you have the the, the group and then there's the leader who's the big, strong, the big, strong baddie of the group. And, yeah. But they're just following him. So as soon as you take out the baddie, then the rest of the group is most likely going to be like, yeah. screw this. I was just yeah. following him. Yeah. You took out my leader. He's the alpha. I'm out of here. That's yeah. encounter I use scatter. quite a bit. Yep. Um, and then also on retreating is having friendly reinforcements show up. Yep. If you've got yeah. if you've got your parties overwhelmed, you can have a wave come in on their side. Exactly. You know, maybe, maybe there's a guard patrol going through and they hear the noise come to investigate. Um, they may have some questions for the PCs afterwards, but sure. if the PCs are fighting orcs clad in black, then the town watch shows up. They pretty much know which side they're on. Yeah. There's another uh, slight, just slight variation of that same exact concept, though, that I've always wanted to do. It's always kind of in my head, but then I never think of it in the moment. Like if you need to bring in like the, you know, a friendly reinforcement, like, you know how like D&D is like apparently full of world, you know, this world full of just like adventuring parties. Yeah. But you never run into another adventuring party. Yeah. Wouldn't it be funny if like, well, hey, well, we were heading this way to go, you know, to to go save the princess from this cave of no um, filled with gnolls. Oh, well, we were just heading west and heard heard a ruckus. We were actually heading over to the forest out here to go save a different princess from some orcs. Yeah. You know what I mean? And just have like this other random adventuring yeah. party, you know, just show up and 
help you guys out, yeah. uh, you know, which you guys have done for countless NPCs in the past, but it'd be funny to have the you know, kind of flip the head on it, you know, yeah. around and just have this other random NPC adventuring party come and save you guys once. Yeah. <laughs> I definitely like that concept. I would think GMs who are doing that, keep in mind, um, maybe not overuse that one. If you want to no. use a couple guards here and there, that's fine. But, but keep the adventuring party one to a minimum. And I think probably the reason we don't see it a lot is because as a player, you know, maybe you're not doing so well and an NPC adventuring party comes and saves the day. It makes you feel that sort of deflates. Yeah. It sort of deflates you a little. Yeah. Again, you would have, it would have to be done tastefully. It would have, yeah. to, you wouldn't want to do it very often. But I definitely, I th- yeah, I definitely I think, think I doing think it's, it, you know, a, a nice kind of little flavorful piece if done right. You know what I mean? It's, it's kind of the whole concept. Like we've talked about in the past of like a DMPC, right? You know, like you don't want to steal the thunder from the party, but you know, if it's okay for a few guardsmen to show up, you know, why isn't it okay for this party to show up as long as they're assisting and not just coming in and slow. Like if you're surrounded and you're like, I don't know if we're going to get out of here. And then they just come in and kill yeah. everything. Yeah, right. That's, that's lame. But if they, but if come, they in, come in and break the lines, exactly. Like make they, a run for it. Right. If they come in and break the line and they're all on horseback and they're like, quick, jump onto the back of the horse and then break for it. Yeah. Hey, that's, well, that's just them getting you out of a pickle. <laughs> yeah, or, or maybe it could just be they noticed the fight, so they came to help, and you guys are getting overwhelmed and not doing so bad. So maybe their, their priest just goes up and casts like mass healing words on the party just yeah. to do it. And like they're, you know, they're all they have their weapons out and they're looking to see where things are going, but they're kind of more interested in watching the fight pan out. Yeah. They uh, offer, and, then, and then like one of the bad guys like shoots an arrow over the group. So their ranger just blasts them back. Yeah. No. <laughs> right. You, you actually reminded me one of the games I ran for you guys. I had you run into an adventuring party in one of the towns. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. And it was like two, three sessions later, you guys were still talking about like, they're going to, we got to figure out what they're doing, where they're going. They're going to come yeah. into play. Yeah. yeah. Well, also kind of interesting. Cause again, we were kind of playing the, the evil ish party. Yeah. You know what I mean? So it's having the good adventuring party coming along was, you know, just basically yeah. we had to account for the other party. <laughs> Oh, huh? Huh? Boo. I think everyone listening is cheering me. Uh, but no, definitely you could bring in and you can, no matter what the scenario, no matter the terrain or, uh, or whatnot, you can always, you can always bring someone in. Maybe you guys are lost in a mythical forest. There's no reason, a, a you know, a small patrol of elves can't come in under some underground in some deep, you know, uh, deep mountain area. No, there are gnomes down there, or dwarves down there, or something down there that yeah, can kind of help. It doesn't even have to they be like a, a come race. To help us out. You know, yeah, and it, yeah, exactly. Like the monster manual has lots of good creatures and, you know, a treant comes so, along, so many. a unicorn yep. wanders by, a phoenix is flying overhead. Maybe there's a good dragon who's like, oh, hey, thanks for keeping an eye on my forest. Uh, I was, I was out for lunch and this thing happened and yeah. uh, I, just kind of came back just in time to save the day. <laughs> or maybe have a, I mean, we've mentioned owl bears before, but a starving owl bear shows up and smells blood and charges in and frenzies and just happens to hit the back rank of the enemies. Yeah, exactly. And now, okay, the players can kind of use that as a, as kind of an assistance, but realize that when we kill these guys, we might have to deal with that thing. Yeah. Yeah. Or, you know, again, you still, it would still be dealing with it, but you know, it doesn't mean again, just kind of, throwing this out there as it popped in my head uh you know if you have like a druid or ranger in your party maybe they are able to handle the owl bear without actually yeah. having to kill it you right. know what i mean like you know friend calm, help us yeah yeah you know yeah. calm it down send it on its way you know 
But yeah, so, those are all uh, some interesting ideas. So yeah, and we were t- we we're talking a little bit there about because there's a lot of discussion too on on this next topic already, which is tactics. Because we we're talking about you know, changing tactics mid game, mid encounter. So maybe if as we were discussing it earlier, they start off and they're doing really well. Yeah. Maybe they get overconfident, they get sloppy. Right. And now they're not helping each other out. They're getting flanked. And by the time they realize, oh, we need to pull it back together, the fight's on more even ground. Mm-hmm. Right. Or vice versa. Oh, these are chumps. We can handle them. And then, oh, wait, no, we can't. Let's start. Yeah. Tighten up your ranks. Let's yeah. let's pull, get your shit together. <laughs> Close ranks, lock shields in formation. Yeah. Start pulling out the big guns. Yep. Yeah. And those are, those are two easy ways. I mean, cause again, cause you, and like we've talked about, you know, like playing tactically sound in the past, Yeah, you know, that's an easy way to skew an encounter without it seeming as obvious as just upping hit points or bringing in another wave, you know, okay. I brought in this, you know, this pack of orcs and they're just, Hey, we got a bunch of numbers. You know, there's only three of them. There's 15 of us, whatever. Let's just go in and stomp them. And then, oh crap, there might be only three of them, but they're all seasoned veteran fighters with three, four attacks each. And they're kicking the crap out of us. And, oh, well, even though we're just 15 orcs, like we know how to fight. We're militia. You know, we've been in armies before, like tighten up the ranks, you know, start taking advantage of, you know, like, you know, the terrain, maybe instead of having short sword out and going in melee, we pull out, you know, like, Oh wait, we all got a spear or a glaive on our back, you know, pull out the crossbows, you know, surround them, overwhelm them, you know, like just change it up, take advantage of what you can. And I actually had an idea of, of kind of combining the tactics and the waves from one of the stories Ed was telling during the the pre-show, which I'm, which I'm sure we'll hear later, but he's talking about fighting on a farm and I don't want to ruin it. Um, But I had the idea of a couple of rounds in, the archers that were hanging out in the hayloft have finally grabbed their bows, grabbed their arrows, thrown on their armor. They kick open the upper doors, and now you have enemy archers in an elevated position. Yep. An extra wave using some tactics to add an extra level of challenge. That's right. Or, or a it, shooting gallery for the range. Or in, in, in this particular, I had them all on the ground floor of a house we're shooting out. And I w- I'll probably get into that later. But in this specific case, uh, one thing I did consider... Because in this encounter, it was getting a little tough for the PC, or I felt like it was getting a little tough. It might not really have been. One thing I did consider was instead of having them be in range, pulling them out and putting them in the melee, because we had two and a half melee characters. The half was a healer who I basically consider a melee character because he had the the stats for it, Mm -hmm. you know? So instead of giving them the tactical advantage of having some cover and being at range, you know, they want to go out and kill a thing. You know, so they want to go face to face with it, which is a thing you can certainly do. You know, lower, lower their tactics. Um, and actually, since we kind of brought it up, um, why don't you go ahead and tell that story? Because that leads into the scaling idea. Sure. So sure. On what actually happened there. Yeah. So my my players were coming up across a farmstead. They realized something wasn't quite right. And the, once they got within range, there were a, a few there were three knolls that shot out with their longbows. Um, so they started charging towards it. And as they were, uh, making their way to the house, a farm door opened up a knoll pack Lord and four giant hyenas, uh, ran out. The pack Lord was on top of one of them. The other three giant hyenas went for the rest of the group. Uh, and after the first round or two with the pack Lord and the giant hyenas, cause they weren't there at first. They were kind of a wave. Um, I, I started feeling like, okay, I'm, I'm overwhelming them. 
like the faster of the two fighters because one was a, a dragon dragonkin, one was a dwarf, so the dwarf was kind of falling behind. The faster of the two fighters was kind of out of healing range and getting hurt, and then the other one had taken a couple of rough hits, had plenty of hit points, but was taking a couple of rough hits. I'm thinking, oh no, you know, I've done too much here. So what I did is I just pulled out the, I just flipped to the stat block of the regular hyena, and I instead of using the null pack lord. At least for a couple of rounds, I used just regular Knoll. I gave him the same hit points as a Pack Lord, but he was just he was just a regular Knoll for a few rounds. Right. And then uh, because giant hyenas have uh, quite quite a few hit points, you got you got to get through some hit points. Yeah. Regular hyenas only have five, so I turned it around into I gave him somewhere around fifteen because someone had done fourteen damage to one and it didn't go down. So now I decided okay they got fifteen. So now they started taking him down. Much easier. So those guys were down and they had a vicious like 2d6 plus three bite. Scaled that down. You know, um, I, th- I, I'm, I maybe even didn't have to do it. The group probably would have been okay. Probably would have got through it. But just in my head as a GM, I felt this might be going south. And this is basically a random encounter. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, I, I didn't want to overwhelm my group with a random encounter. Yeah, you didn't want to burn all the resources just barely pulling out. It's, exactly. It's very, fairly common, uh, Consensus of the random encounters often are just there to be resource sinks and they don't need to be anything more than what you want them to be. So, yeah, this sounds like it's yeah. a case where it was just a random encounter that decided it wanted to be more special than it actually should be. Right. I, I, I see random encounters mostly as just some side fun, side, side flavor. I don't even really see them as real encounters myself. Um, I'll throw a challenge at something. But in this case, I felt like I needed to scale things down. So I did. Um, I did use waves, which kind of helped out because they were able to attack the ones in the house. And then the the scale down certainly balanced things out for them. So, yeah. So just, you know, mid fight, something's if they're doing well, then maybe scale it up, add mm-hmm. hit points, give it a extra chance to attack. Maybe it, it pulls out something it's been holding back yep. uh, or if they're doing poorly, then maybe you know, scale it down a little bit, make it a little bit easier to hit, allow, uh, have it take less di- or take less hit points to get knocked down or, yeah. you know, just make it a little, uh, smoother ride. Yeah. Maybe the, the first wave of hobgoblins, your, your dudes have to fight are basically standard by the book and they, your party wrecks them. You're like, no, 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 no. I want these guys to challenge them. So your next wave has double hit points or something. Mm-hmm. That's you know? why the pawns go first. Yes. Exactly. Um, yeah, then we also we uh, we discussed a little bit on tweaking damage and healing and um, hits and saves. You're basically just fudging your numbers on the fly, right? And and as a yeah. D, as a DM, you should be used to that. You should be. I th- I think you should be practicing that as well. There's a school of thought that says that the DM should be an impartial referee and the dice should make the ruling. And I say, no, I agree with, I believe it was Gary Gygax that said the only reason a DM needs to roll the dice is because they enjoy the sound it makes. Yeah. You I mean, can, there's, there's two big schools of thought on that. Like yeah. you said, like there's one, there's, there's one, you know, and it's six, one, half a dozen, the other. So that's all personal preference. There's no right answer. You know, Jerry prefers, you know, to, to be able to have basically total control over what's going on, you know, at least when it comes to the numbers and the dice, you know, I, I mean, I'll, I'll generally follow the dice, but if it starts swinging too far one way, we'll start pulling it back under control. Yeah. 
Um, you know, now and then, you know, if if somebody's bragging and running their mouth, they may get a surprise crit. Yeah. It doesn't even need to do a lot of damage, but just just a reminder that no, I haven't hit you in the past four rounds, that doesn't mean you're untouchable. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I tend to favor the whole concept of like, you know, the leave the dice as they lay kind of thing, you know, like whatever I roll, I roll. But you know, there are exceptions like uh, like again, like I don't believe that in most cases a random encounter should kill a PC. I believe that usually, you know, typically you want to save that for, you know, your your big set pieces. Um, I'm not saying that a random encounter can't kill a PC. Yeah. You know, it's not a big deal if it does. Um, but that's just kind of like that's kind of like where like my rule of thumb would come in for like where I definitely would intervene um, or typically would intervene. Not definitely. Uh, right. Sometimes you just do it. Yeah. You know, and sometimes sometimes, the, you know, but again, like I have, you know, the reason that, you know, the, the advantage of having the dice, you know, the dice be true and never altering the dice is that yeah. means everything's a surprise for the DM too. like you're right. telling the story, but you don't know how things are going to go. And, and sort of what you were hitting on there is you usually don't scale things or you usually only scale things back for um, those sorts of encounters. You know, sometimes I'll scale that back on dungeons, too. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of people will do that. Oh, maybe I made a more powerful dungeon than I thought I did. So let me take a, a couple of the bad guys yeah. out, you know. But uh, another thing to think about is when to scale. Mm-hmm. You know, obviously, if they're doing too well, maybe make it a little bit more challenging. If they're not doing well at all, you make it a little less challenging. But Sometimes you throw a challenge at them, whether planned or random, that is way out of their league. And, you know, I don't scale an encounter if I make it obvious that it's out of their league and they decide they want to do it anyway. Yeah, that's on them. That's on them. I'm not going to scale that. Mm-hmm. You know, if I think, oh, it'd be cool if they fought a couple of gnolls and their their hyenas. Oh, crap. I crit on them a couple of times. Oh, I, might, yeah. I might weaken these guys. That's on me. Mm-hmm. But if I come across there and say, yeah, you see a large red dragon uh, tearing into a cow on a uh, on a farmstead. Level, oh, two, let's adventurers. Level two adventurers. Let's go kill it. <laughs> OK. And I'll play out the death of these adventures. Yeah. Or sometimes when they get really uh, uppity, like overconfident, like too much. Mm-hmm. I'm going to throw something at them that just kind of takes yep, them, yep. takes them out a little. Not, yeah, and I'm not, not saying necessarily take the wind out of the sails of players who are having fun, but just like, all right, these guys are getting way too cocky. I got to bring them down so they don't do something stupid, right? You because that's some- that's the other time I don't I don't take away from an encounter is when they're just being dumb. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes players have the dumb moment. I've had the dumb moment where you're not thinking tactically. You do the stupid thing. That's I don't scale down on that. Yeah. Yeah, I just want to clarify for the listeners in case, you know, there was a, a misunderstanding on their end. Uh, when I say, like, the whole, like, leaving the dice as they lay, that, I'm not saying don't scale in, you know, encounters, and I'm not saying don't adjust no. encounters. I'm just saying when it comes to the dice roll itself, you know, whatever I roll, I roll typically. Yeah. You know, because I kind of like being surprised, just like I like the players having a lot of oh. input and influence over the game. Yeah, I'm you know, sorry. I, w- I wasn't. Yeah. If, if you think what no, I was I don't, saying, I don't, I don't do think you that. were. I just want again for the listeners. I just oh, wanted I to clarify that. Yeah. So you know, I'm like, I'm all for like, I I scale and tweak encounters on the fly all the time. But you know, it's just it's just the dice roll that I I, I typically like. I like kind of like to be surprised too. You know what I mean? So again, like the whole concept of like letting players have a lot of influence over what's going on. You know, that, right. that kind of keeps keeps things fresh for the DM too. So even the DM doesn't always know exactly where everything is going. Right. So I decided to throw that out there. Yeah, that was one that you brought up during the the pre-show that I thought was a really good idea, which was uh, um, if 
the monsters are, or the enemies, the opponents are aware, they may use some of an item or something that the players otherwise would have gotten. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So they may, like, you know, drink a healing potion or throw a flask of oil or something mm-hmm. that if they had been killed earlier, well, maybe the players would have gotten that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, because we touched on the, you know, the concept of another way to scale or adjust or tweak an encounter on the fly is, you know, to throw some healing magic out there. And instead of all of a sudden, like, one of the orcs spontaneously becoming a cleric, <laughs> you can, or a shaman or something like that, you can just say, uh, this orc boss has a couple healing potions on him. And had you killed him quickly, that would have been something that you would have got. But uh, no, you didn't. And or you didn't focus him or whatever, whatever the situation is, or you just needed to have him be alive longer. Boom. All of a sudden he's got some healing potions and he's chugging those down. Player players often freak out when they take something down and then a round or two later, it gets back up. Yeah. Like, Oh crap. What happened? There's a healer. (laughs) And those orcs don't need to spontaneously become shamans. The shamans arriving in the next wave. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, and, and that's a huge one just to have have a healer show up and just be like, Oh, I'm going to throw a mass healing bird and then a bless or something like that. And just, and another way you can do waves um, too, bringing in some magic and some shamans and stuff like that too. Instead of another wave of orcs, maybe the shaman shows up late, looks around and raises some zombie orcs. Yep. Yep. Can do and that. boom. Okay. Now he's single handedly bringing a wave with him. You know, so or maybe there and maybe there's yet another wave of orcs behind him, but he showed up, but you know, in between waves. Yep. Um, you know, or he was there the whole time, you just hadn't gotten to the shaman and he's looking around going, Oh yep. crap, I didn't have enough men with me. Good thing I can make more. Boom, raise dead. Or you know, summon, animate dead. Summon minor elementals. Yeah, exactly. You know, like if, again, casters have options to, you know, to to bring more opponents onto the field, you know, we, we we have casters as its own separate because not only is there the option of, you know, bringing more opponents onto the field, but it's also, you know, how do they, how do they use the spells that they have? Right. Right. Yeah. You know, the, the, the caster that casts web to block off the choke point has a different effect on the batch or on the encounter as the caster who uses that same second level slot to cast scorching ray and damage one character. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, different choices, whether, you know, tactically suboptimal or good choices, bad choices can also help swing, swing the fight, you know, back towards what you're looking to see and have it be kind of a little yeah. more balanced encounter. Yeah. I mean, uh, a, a caster, even of appropriate level, they don't have to be super powerful, you know, an appropriate right. level caster, their action economy can affect the, the, not only the, the, the PC group, but the battlefield in a much more drastic way than your atypical enemy that's just dealing damage with their one turn. Exactly. So you have, you know, okay, again, you know, just using orcs as an example, you have your orcs that might have one or two attacks, depending on, like, whether they have an offhand attack or whatever. You know, like, okay, I'm a dual-wielding orc, so I get a whole two attacks. I'm going to stab, stab. And then you have the orc shaman that goes, well... I'm going to alter the entire battlefield. I'm going to put up a wall of stone over yeah. here. So now these guys have to run around a wall to get to me. I've just bought myself more time. That's one action. Now on my next action, I'm going to conjure a fire elemental. Okay. So now there's more attacks on the field, you know, with a bunch of, you know, another whole hit point pool that has to be taken out, you know, that a lot of people don't have things, you know, that, to that okay, fire, I'm, I'm weak against fire or maybe I'm immune to fire, but you know, like, you know, you have this whole, other aspects of the game. And like yeah. Jerry said, you know, you have, there's a lot of battlefield control spells or summoning spells. Again, there's yeah. animate dead to bring your brethren back up. 
you know, so like, oh, you thought they were dead? Well, they're back in the game. Here's an anime dead. Um, all kinds of stuff going on. I mean, again, if they're a shaman, which, you know, I'm assuming you'd base off of like, you know, just say they're a druid. Now they can wild shape. And okay, mm-hmm. well, you thought you were going to, oh man, you got those shaman down to one hit point and he wild shapes into a freaking black bear. So now he's got another whole free hit point pool you got to take out. Yeah, I, uh, I had an encounter that I ran recently that was... Uh, a handful of uh, uh, lizard men and the lizard uh, shaman or, or whatever it is, you know, uh, lizard men, I think were CR one half, the shamans uh, like a two, but the encounter started off with the group, you know, trudging through the road. Uh, and then the shaman uh, cast spike growth, which spike growth won't do anything to you if you don't move, but you start moving, you take 2d4 uh, for every, um, block that you travel and it is difficult terrain. Kind of like a mini Edwards black tentacles kind of thing going on. Exactly. Uh, so, you know, and cast it right on the middle of this group, you know, and then um, I looked through the other spells and some of the other spells that they had that I was really interested in casting were other uh, concentration spells, spike gross concentration spells. So I said, you know what, as much as I'd like to cast a spell, these guys aren't moving. Mm-hmm. So the lizard uh, folk would just throw their javelins at the group. Yeah. Uh, one of the fighters, the dwarf fighter did just did trudge through it. And I said, sure you, you do. And when he, when he moved, I said, all right, you're taking the damage. And then I, 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 I told him you're going to take damage every time, every time you keep moving. He said, all right. So he went through it and he was willing to take the damage. Mm-hmm. He had to take uh, a, a, his regular move in a dash to get out of the field. And he ended up taking like, I think it was 20 something damage because of how, how many uh, squares he went through. But you know, that's if they had all moved, they would all have taken some, mm-hmm. some pretty hefty damage. Yeah. Yeah. Casters can change the whole dynamic of the, the combat and in a variety of ways, you know, yeah. be it, you know, crowd controlling them with like web or, or walls or just, you know, battlefield, you know, um, control with, you know, like, controlling weather or adding, you know, like you said, like, you know, like vines and, you know, and entangling items or, or damaging things. Yeah. Um, cloud, fairy fire. Yeah, exactly. You know, they can, uh, they could, you know, do uh, a sphere of darkness. They can do all, you know, they can enhance, you know, like hinder vision. They could do gusts of wind to prevent arrows from, you know, you know, mm-hmm. you know like in range attacks from hitting things, or they could just pull out some the good old fashioned fireball and hit the whole party and damage everyone at the same time. Yep. So, I mean, casters are their own beasts. You can be extremely efficient with them or you can be less efficient with them. You know, if you want to bring out a less efficient caster, oddly enough, in my opinion, the less efficient caster is just going to come out and just do damaging spells. Yeah. You know, they're pretty much just going to be your straight ahead blaster. You know, they're still going to hurt the whole party or or yeah. depending on again, depending on the spell they use, they can single out a, you know, a, a party member. But if you really, again, if the caster's there with supporting members, range slash melee members, again, like your lizard folk situation, Mm -hmm. they start doing some battlefield manipulation and they've swung the tide in favor of their side. Oh, yeah. You know, you make it so I, especially if you have some range people and the group doesn't, you know, in the PC party has limited to no range and you've just slowed them down. All of a sudden, one half challenge rating isn't such a pushover. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Yeah, you know, all of a sudden, you know, if you use the earthquake spell to put a huge crevice between you and the other side and you're just pelting them with spears and arrows and they're like, uh, what are we supposed to use? Harsh language? Uh, I got one javelin. <laughs> right. Make it count, man. Right. <laughs> Don't worry, they'll throw it back eventually. Or if you could make your part, you know, or if you can make the enemies fly, that's another kind of, you know, you know, situation again where you're creating distance. 
and space yeah. where, you know, a ranged character has a huge advantage, you know, and that's something, um, something kind of, if, you know, a good idea, if you're interested in how this can be played up, would be go back and check out our episode where we talk about, um, spicing up combats because yep. we talk about, you know, like how terrain can affect combats, yep. you know? So again, we're like, you know, if there's, you're creating distance either with difficult terrain or actual physical distance where range characters excel or where you're, you know, shortening distance where melee characters can excel, you know, putting them in close quarters kind of deal. So it's all, the, you know, whole person stuff like that. You know what I mean? Just casters just have so many tricks up their sleeves. It's ridiculous. All right, well, I'm going to wrap it up there for scaling encounters. And, of course, if you have any questions or comments or stories even that you'd like to share, you know, we're gamers. We like to talk games. Definitely feel free to get in touch with us. Uh, we're available on Twitter, GMS Studios, uh, Facebook. You can like, comment, subscribe, and, and send us a message. Uh, you can support us. We would appreciate it very much if you did so on Patreon dot com slash game master studio give us a token of your appreciation and help facilitate us making the podcast bigger and better and doing a variety of things uh there's no charge to check out our goals and see what we're looking to do in the future there but we also do have a special blog and special releases that will only be available to paying patreon members and that's all for us this week we will uh we are back each and every week with new material and we will see you the next time we're in the studio no flies were harmed for the recording of this podcast.